Father, this is your church. And Lord, I ask that you would teach each of us who are part of this church that we would understand what it means to walk worthy, what it means to be a part of a body of believers that some are evangelists and some are pastor teachers. And yet, Father, the work of being strengthened to perfection and completeness that we can strengthen the body of Christ, each of us, in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To each and every one of us is maturing, which belongs in the fullness of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your spirit, and for your precious bride of Jesus Christ, your church. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, we are looking at this called the building up of the body, God's pattern. I hear a lot of things that people want to describe as what the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to do, and yet very few people, I think, have read Ephesians. We understand that when he says that to mature us, to strengthen us, to perfect us, that is salvation. And yet... We understand that in this is also glorification that happens because we are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in that process that is our lives is sanctification. We are being made holy. Positionally, we are holy. Practically, we're working at it. All right? That's, that's the goal of the body of Christ. If you look at this letter, it's basically in two parts. The first part, the first three chapters, is doctrine, theology, who you are positionally in Jesus Christ, God's plan empowered by the Holy Spirit carried out by the person of Jesus Christ. The last three, four, five, and six, those chapters, are practice. What does my life look like? One to three is what God has done Four and following is how we are to live. And he starts it out in chapter 4 that we do this walk worthy and it's done in all humility. As the goal is unity. Because one Lord, one faith, one baptism is the unity of the Holy Spirit. As we grow together in our understanding of the word, that unity becomes stronger and stronger. And one of the things that I have watched in the body of Christ for the years that I have walked with the king is that we all have little bits and pieces. And we bring them all together, and it is a oneness. We get into trouble when we want our little kingdoms. We want our little things. I want my church this way. You know, I remember reading uh, lectures to my students by Charles Spurgeon, and he was explaining to them the task of being a preacher. And he made a comment, and I thought it was kind of funny at the time, but then I've been around long enough to realize that it is very true. Spurgeon's quote was, when Satan was cast from heaven, he landed in the choir loft. And I have been around long enough to know that he is still rummaging around in there. Uh, Every year I go out to a camp meeting out east, and uh, it's a week-long revival. Well, not almost a week, a Wednesday through Sunday revival. And there's teaching starts at the early morning and goes into the evening, and it's all day long, all of those days. 
And the group that heads it up, I know all of them pretty well. And they will tell you every year they have one problem. Music. Now, why is that a problem? I don't understand why that's a problem. But, you know, I'll hear one of the guys there is very, very gracious. And he says, well, all of those talented people tend to be eccentric. And uh, I just look at him. I said, I think my Bible calls him prideful. (laughs) And he says, that's why I'm ahead of this and you're not. (laughs) Okay. But I see this. I see churches split. I know a friend of mine took a, a home Bible study of five people, not five couples, five people. And he began teaching textual thematic exposition. And that thing turned into a 2,000-member church in Hamilton, Montana. Okay, I didn't even know there was 2,000 people in Montana. But that thing was this massive thing, and, and, and it was just awesome that I knew a number of their teachers and the dynamic that was there. He had been with them about 12 years, and he decided that... He talked with the elders. He says, what we'll do, instead of passing the plate for the offering, we will put collection boxes on the way out of the auditorium. You know, they fired him for that. What's that all about? Okay. And he said, well, if they're going to fire me over that, then I probably don't need to be there anyway. So... I see this all over the place, that there's a dynamic that happens when men decide that they're not going to walk in all humility. Okay? We are to walk in the exercise of our gifts that the conquering Lord Jesus Christ has given every child of God. And now we are learning that that walk actually has a plan and a place and a pattern. And the place and the pattern or the goal, whatever you want to call it, is for our individual maturity. Each of us are to grow up. All right? It is an ascending to knowledge that is reflected in our personal character and our personal walks. Listen. This is what God wants for his church. Do you understand that? There are many maturing in Jesus Christ. There are many who have a commitment to him. And some even are diligent in the study of the word. And you will find that those are the ones who are a blessing to the ministry. Those are the ones who will step up and serve. And it is committing oneself to the feeding of the principles of the word. And yet, how many don't? How many don't? You know, I've listened to people and they'll tell me, I know that this denomination, they say the two worst places to minister, to serve and to preach in the United States One is Alaska, and one is Colorado. 
And I said, well, why is that? He says, because there's too much to do. And, you know, I understand that, you know. But my, that doesn't tell me that the issue is Colorado. That tells me the issue is the spiritual condition of the church. And I don't know that there's a lot of people who are diligent in their own desire for the Word of God. I know people, if you scare them to death and say, I want you to teach a Sunday school class, they'll get diligent. Okay? But that shouldn't be the issue. The issue is, you know, I am studying and all of a sudden an opportunity shows up. Committing on feeding of the Word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. And you know what? That's the heart of ministry. That's the heart of it right there. There isn't anything else. I don't, I don't want to hear about your charitable work. I don't want to hear about any of that other stuff. That all flows out of a heart that has been matured, conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Listen. <laughs> That's the reason I do what I do. There isn't anything else in ministry. The only thing in ministry and its task is the maturing of the saints. And what comes from maturing? When the saints are built up, what happens? Verse 15. Begin speaking the truth in love. So we grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Truth and love. I know a lot of people who speak in love, but they don't have no truth. I know some people who speak a lot of truth and not a lot of love. But when you are mature, guess what? The two come together. When that happens, the saints will move out. They will begin to evangelize. Their lives will shout the person of Jesus Christ. That comes out of maturity. This is important. This was important to the apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brother, rejoice. Be made complete. There it is. Be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Okay? Doesn't seem that confusing, does it? Now I want you to think about something. This is after 29 chapters that the Apostle Paul has written to the Corinthians. 29 chapters. And his conclusion is what? Be complete. Be mature. Grow up. Be an adult. I mean, I can kind of, I just look at that and I think, that is the conclusion of 29 chapters. Grow up. Be complete. Be perfect. I want you mature. You look at it, the writer of Hebrews. It's implied in chapter 13, again, the conclusion of the letter. 20 and 21. Now the God of peace 
who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you for every good thing to do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the plan again, because you're in the eternal covenant that is Jesus Christ. What? Be mature. That was Paul's great desire. The maturing of the saints. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, again, the conclusion of the letter, verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, and the God of all grace, who has called you to the eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Okay? Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say last week? Chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The principle is always and ever the same. The job is to make the saints mature, to build them up. The apostles laid this foundation and the prophets. The chief cornerstone was Jesus Christ. On top of that foundation is what? The evangelists and the pastor teachers. And they are there for what? To mature the saints, to make the saints complete, to make them adults, to move them from infants to fathers, spiritual fathers, as John said. Listen, that's ministry. (laughs) I'm glad it's no more complicated than that. We like to try to make it complicated. I've been meeting with some of the pastors here in town, and it's, it's amazing to me to hear the things that they espouse. And, you know, I, they must spend hours upon hours coming up with really cool cliches. And, uh, you know, it's why we're not growing. I don't have any cool cliches. But the ministry is as simple as proclaiming the word, admonishing all men to make them all complete and perfect in Christ. And I don't care what your cliche is. Well, what is the vision for the church? Right now I'm having a nightmare. What is my vision for the church? When is it my responsibility to have a vision for the church? I thought he already gave me one. When I get that one done, I'll come up with a vision. But I haven't got that one done. To present every man complete in Christ. There's nothing less can satisfy the heart of God. Do you understand that? God in eternity past wanted to show His love for the Son in a way that no other could, and he decided that he would present his son an awesome gift, the church. And the son's love for the father was so massive, he wanted to present a gift to his father because of what his father had showed him. And he says, I will make a complete, sanctified, holy 
church, my bride, and I'll present her back to you. And you and I are responsible for the ministry Why it's here in the temporal. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having these promises, he quotes a bunch of stuff out of the Old Testament. Uh, I'll be a father among you. You'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So anyway, he quotes that. He says, therefore, because of all of this, because of these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Based on my theology, based on that content, based on what God has done, Use it to perfect your own holiness. Use it to move to maturity. How do you get there? How do I get this to work? As an individual, how do I accomplish this? How do I make it happen? Now, as a pastor... This can be one of the most frustrating things you can ever step into. Because I know theologically, I know practically, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He does it. Right? No human being can perfect the saints. Okay? The only impact a person can have in maturing another is if God is working through one or the other. You understand that? Here, I'll show you. You know the text, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul had had some very good results. Galatia is an area. It'd be kind of like a a big county with multiple towns in it. And the gospel was received well in Galatia. And it had good results. But after he had moved on, he got a bunch of legalists had come in and their conclusion was, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. But, You need works. Okay? So you can maintain that grace and you can maintain that faith. Okay? You know what they end up doing? I see this a lot. They're going to mature themselves. Okay? I memorized the book of Romans. I'm still working on Philemon. I don't want to overtax myself. All right? But you see this a lot. You're going to grow on your own. Really? I know there's people I talk to on a semi-regular basis who do not attend church and they have concluded that they are going to grow on their own. Well, wherever I'm at and I've got my Bible, I'm... No, you're sinning. Sorry. So I have such a large group of friends. 
when you grow on your own, I guarantee you what the outcome is every time. Wonder what the outcome is? You have your own self-righteousness. You lower it to here, I am godly. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's so foolish that you were born in the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit, placed into the body by the Spirit. You are energized by the Spirit. Now you are perfecting it in the flesh. That's what the apostle says here. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No, brothers and sisters, you are perfected by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And yet, so many are trying to do it in their own energy, in their own Bible studies, in their own... I listened to such and such on TV, or I listened to such and such on the radio, or I read this guy's book, or I, you know, whatever. I got news for you. Truth is, the Holy Spirit is the only way you are ever perfected. One of my favorite texts in Scripture comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now you get a hold of that and chew on that a while, and I guarantee you it'll cause your brain to hurt. If you behold in a mirror, what do you see? When you look into a mirror, what do you see? What does Paul say here? Perhaps he was mistaken. With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. That's impressive. That's impressive. Can you look in the mirror and see more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now there's a challenge. I wonder if he shaves like I do. You ever thought about that? That's what he's saying. And yet he says you are being transformed. You're being transformed. Into the same image from glory to glory. You're moving from one level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory. And when you look into the mirror, who do you see? The glory of the Lord. Listen. <laughs> I listen to people try to tell me, you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm spiritually growing or I'm spiritually mature or I'm this or I'm that. And that's, that's great, man. So you're telling me that you're the image of Jesus Christ. Because that's the goal. Okay? Remember the quote we read from Adrian Rogers? All right? What do they see in you? What do the lost people see in you? That's the ultimate end of maturity. Christ likeness. Hmm. We are being moved from one level of glory and we are ascending to the next level of glory and it is all done by keeping the mirror shiny. No. Nope. It's all done by the Holy Spirit, Christ the Lord. It's the work of the Spirit. And it is the process to perfection. When I see him face to face, Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, you will know as you are known. That there just, what? I don't know. He knows the hair is my head. He knows when I was conceived. He knows when I'll step into eternity. He knows every step that I take in between. And I will know as He knows me. <laughs> That's a theological phrase right there. <laughs> Man! Listen. I'm trying to show you how to grow and mature. All right? This only happens. Please hear me. I know this is a Baptist church. Don't freak out. Okay? This only occurs in the life of an individual who is yielded to the Holy Spirit. Period. And if you're not yielded to Him, we know it. You can study, you can listen to the greatest preachers, the greatest books that the world has ever seen. But unless your life is yielded to the energy of the Spirit of the living God, there is no growth principle operating. It's just words. I used the illustration this morning. I got uh, the Bible on my uh, computer. Okay, and I've got all these little goofy things that you can bring in, word searches and uh, original text and stuff like that. You can bring it in. It's really, really impressive. You know what? I will never know the Bible like my computer. But know this. My computer's not saved. Okay? I don't have a piece of equipment that I've ever owned that can aggravate me as quick. So that's not a saved person there. I don't care how much Bible it knows. It doesn't matter who you listen to. It doesn't matter who's teaching you're under. None of that matters if you're not yielded to the Spirit of the living God. Okay? It is His task to grow you, to mature you. He is the one who gives spiritual gifts as He sees necessary in the Bride of Christ. That's what He's doing. Why? To perfect the saints. Okay? So what tools does the Holy Spirit use? Thought you'd never ask. 
One that you definitely will cherish and love till the days that you step into glory. James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. One of the ways that he perfects us is tests us. Why? Well, it says there, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, how many of you guys are standing in that line? I want to be in the testing of the faith line. Anybody in that line? If you're in that line, can you tell me and I will steer clear of you. The Spirit of God will bring into your life opportunities to do right, opposed to doing wrong. The way you choose is an exercise of your spiritual muscle. Okay? One way or another, every time you go the right way, you are stretching that spiritual growth out and you are strengthened when you go the right way. But you know what's really cool? You get these spiritual tests and every once in a while, you flunk. Right? Whoops. But God is so loving and gracious, He lets you take it again. And he can outweigh you. Okay? You think I'm kidding? How long did Israel wander in the wilderness? I can outweigh you. Okay? I know some Christians right now that are wandering in the wilderness. And I keep thinking, you know what? Get the test right and you're going to move on. If not, he is so gracious and merciful and long-suffering, he'll just let you take a lap. And there you go again. The way you choose is how you exercise that spiritual growth. All right? The Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, will put obstacles. He will put tests. He will put opportunities to exercise your faith. Rather than believing in yourself, you will believe in what He has shown you. Now listen, the Apostle Paul was in Antioch, and he wanted to take the gospel. He wanted to know where the Spirit was going to take him to. So he says, I'm going to go to the east. And the Spirit said, nope. Well, then I'm going to go down to the south. And the Spirit said, nope. Well, then I'm going to go to the west. And the Spirit said, nope. I'm out of options. Yeah, I want you to take it to Macedonia. And so he took it there. Look at the success he had. Yet, when he got run out of Thessalonica, he dropped down to Corinth. And he told them that he sent them a letter. And he says, I want to come back up there and strengthen you guys. Because you guys are rocking the Christian universe. He said, I want to come back up there. But Satan has stopped me. You know what's amazing to me about that? The Apostle Paul knew if the Spirit of God was stopping him or if Satan was stopping him. And you know what's weird about that? That same Holy Spirit's in every one of you who believe. So you should know whether ah, the Spirit don't want me to go deal with that. 
or Satan has stopped this. The growing of my faith helps me to stop believing in myself. Opportunities for you to put your confidence in God is the maturing of your faith. Did you hear what I said? To put my confidence in God is done by the opportunities that test my spiritual muscle. See, I know people who know the Bible, but I can look at them and see their lives and know they have no confidence in it. They know what it says. But that means that they are perfecting themselves in the flesh instead of allowing the spirit who placed them into the body of Christ, who placed them into the heavenlies, who has blessed them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, has gifted them with supernatural powers from God. And they're going to fix it themselves instead of relying on that power source. When my confidence is in God, you know what? Against all opposition, you can't stop me. He will do this to test your faith. Do you trust him? You know, that's when I read the book of Job, wow, what a mess, right? But the whole time I read that book, all I can hear is, do you trust me? And it starts off with the most righteous man in the East. When you think about long prayers waiting for the answers, that is to test your confidence, your faith. That will help you perfect your spiritual walk. That will help you to grow. That will help you to mature. That will help you to stretch spiritually. Count it as spiritual exercise. You know, let me give you an illustration that most of us can grab a hold of. You ever seen an infant, a newborn? That's about an awkward thing it ever is, isn't it? It's got everything it needs right there, but it can't control anything. I mean, it can't lift itself up. Remember, we always get excited. It rolled over. Did you see the little? It rolled over. And we all get, it rolled over. And then every once in a while, it raised itself. Look, it raised itself up. Its little limbs got a little stronger. It could, look. And then eventually, all of a sudden, look, it crawls. It just crawled, crawled across. And it's amazing how fast they can crawl, isn't it? Lord, I can't even walk that fast. I'm a little... Okay? And the next thing we want is what? They'll stand up at the edge of the table. And you're going to knock your teeth out. You know, I heard that. Okay? And then all of a sudden they get out and they'll stand up and they'll walk. And as their muscles get stronger, then the next thing you know, they're running. And then the next thing you keep telling yourself, why did I wish this thing could walk? Right? That's what a child of God is. You start off as an infant and you have to exercise your limbs so you can start doing some things. And as you grow, you can start standing. I shared with you a text out of Peter. We have to understand this because... That is our walk. 
5.10, after you've suffered for a little while, remember, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. After you suffer a little while, the God of all grace who called you into His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christ and God are working to perfect you after you have suffered a little while. Listen, understand this, and, and I understand it, and I don't want you to think that I'm cold-hearted or anything. Some of these tests, these trials, these tribulations, some of these are very, very sad things. Okay? And sometimes in the making of the man of God or making of the woman of God, the demands will be that they have some pain, some hurt, some suffering. But the goal is the other side. The man of God, the woman of God. Even though there's this tremendous heartache, if it is taken right, and there's a right response is made, you'll see your way through, and you'll see an amazing victory. Sometimes we come so obsessed with the affliction, we miss the blessing. And you know what I've learned is, you will never appreciate blessing unless you've had suffering. You will never understand grace without pain. And yet, all of the victory is for our maturing. Makes us stronger. Makes us Christian adults. We'll be a Christian adult. John calls them spiritual fathers. So, Holy Spirit takes trials. He takes suffering. And... uh, I want you to know something. Please note this. That is not mine or your responsibility. Okay? I am not here to make you suffer. Believe it or not. But that's not my job. I'm not here to afflict you. It's not another Christian's job to afflict you. That's God's business. He's got it all figured out. Now, I know some, and I've had in my my life, because I remember a guy sitting and telling me one time, he said, well, I think God put me in the church to be his hammer. (laughs) And I was like, really? (laughs) Okay. And you base that on what text? What do you mean? Well, you ain't his hammer. (laughs) And, and that's, that's that transition from a spiritual infant to a spiritual young man. Spiritual young men are a real pain. I mean, I love you guys. Don't, don't get me wrong, but you know me, I beat around the bush. Spiritual young men have all the theology. 
but they have, <laughs> they have no time with it. Okay, because what I've learned is before I teach a theology, God's going to take me through it and ask me, do you trust this? That's why I had somebody ask me, he said, oh, man, the way you teach, you should do Job. And I said, over my dead body. <laughs> when I teach a text, God tests me and says, do you believe this? And I believe Job and I don't need to teach it. I'm just telling you, somebody else wants to teach it, go ahead. I will not attend that class. I am not here to afflict you. I'm not here to make you suffer, whether you believe it or not. We are not here to present trials to people. We are here for God's work. Okay, but there is another piece of this growth. Okay. Paul's last letter that he ever wrote was 2 Timothy. So if you would go over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So it is through these trials and tribulations that will perfect your faith. But in chapter 3, verse 16 of 2 Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God. Okay? Very good. That means even if you've got a red letter Bible, even the black letters, they're good too. Okay? Sometimes they're easier to chew. All right? And profitable. Okay? For what? Teaching? For reproof? For correction? For training in righteousness? Then read 17. So that the man of God is adequate and equipped for every good work. It's profitable. If you look at that line there, it's just, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. I mean, that, that just, boy, that there will preach for days. Okay? But it is a profit for what? Making the man of God adequate, equipped for everything. The goal? Man of God be perfect. Why? So he can do all good works. How do you get there? All Scripture is God proved. I spoke at a conference a number of years ago. I haven't been asked back. It's kind of weird. But they asked me to preach. They didn't tell me what to preach. They just said, preach something. I said, all right, I'll preach something. And so I went after this guy. This guy gets up and expresses to the group. It was a pastor's thing. That uh, how God was uh, evangelizing through ballet. And I'm sitting there going, what? I said, boy, I'm glad he didn't reach me with that because I hate ballet. And this guy was very adamant. I mean, he was, he was excited. I forget how many hundreds of people in, were being baptized. and 500 had come to salvation. I was like, huh. Then it was my turn. So I go up to the book of Acts and I said, The blood of innocent man is not on my hands. I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. And I explained it. 
Okay? Uh, the guy got mad at me who was in front of me. <laughs> Why? All Scripture is inspired of God, and it is profitable. It is profitable that the man of God will be perfect for every good work. I had already planned on preaching that. I didn't change it because of that guy's message. Please. Okay. I had uh, had that text expounded to me about a week and a half before. And it just set me on fire. So I thought, if I'm on fire with this, I share it. All Scripture, the greatest tool the Spirit of God has for perfecting the saints is what? Holy Scripture. Now then, do you understand why I do what I do? You know, uh, I was meeting with some young pastors and they said, well, who's your worship leader? Me. What instrument do you play? The Bible. Why? Well, where does worship come from? Present yourself as what? A living sacrifice. This is your act of spiritual worship. And if you want to, when we're done, sing something. But if you're going to worship, you need to know who is worthy. Why is he worthy? And therefore, I will worship. That's why I've been pushing a lot of these pastors I've been dealing with that they need to move out of this really cool storyteller and move to a theologian. Know who your God is and with passion, share it with everybody. That's why I do what I do. That's why I shall continue to do what I do until that day that my faith becomes sight. Listen, God will take care of the trials. God will take care of the suffering. All I must do is teach the Word of God. That is the tool of making the man of God perfect. Perfect. Here, let's see if I can drive this one home for you. First Peter, chapter 2. Verse 2. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow and respect to salvation. Basin, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Go back to the baby thing again. When you, if you've ever had babies, what is their sole focus? And you know what? You can't distract them out of it. If that little bugger wants to eat, here life will be miserable until I eat. Isn't it true? I mean, get up every two hours. I remember when I brought Josh home. That first night, he slept all night. And I was like, this ain't so hard. <laughs> Settled that up. He was colicky. The only way he would sleep is if I laid on my back and he laid on my chest. First six months, I did not sleep. 
Okay? But that child, every child I've ever seen, a newborn, has one desire, one single focus thing, and you ain't moving him from it. What does it say here? Christian, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. I had a friend of mine who was a corregidor, was taken, he was part of the Bataan death march. And so when they took, he had a little New Testament that his fiancee had given him. And he says, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to live here. I need to memorize some of this. So what should I memorize? So he said, I will memorize praises to God. That's the book of Psalms. So he began memorizing the book of Psalms. Okay. If I was preaching, he was in our church. If I preached and I read a psalm, he'd tell you what chapter it was. And this was, he was late 70s, early 80s by then. Okay. When he was dying, he kind of in and out of consciousness. So I sat down with him. His son had been up with his, his dad for, I don't know, 24, 36 hours, something like that. So I showed up and he said, uh, I just need to go get something to eat. I need to rest. Would you stay with my dad? I said, yeah. So I sit down beside him and I grabbed a hold of his hand. I said, Henry, can I read the book of Psalms to you? And he squeezed it. Never opened his eyes, never said anything. So he squeezed my hand. So I began reading. Took off, man. Just read all the way through the book of Psalms. Shortly, I was nearing toward the end of it. David came back. <laughs> he walks in the room and he sees me sitting there reading. He's going, going. So I keep going. I finished the last psalm, and he stepped into glory. Okay? That man was consumed by the Word of God to the day he died. And he's such a treat to be around. He's my hero. Because I thought, you know, if you're going to memorize something, try Jude, Philemon. Uh, you know, don't don't overdo it. But no, he said he memorized. And I tell you what, whenever I was teaching, whether it was in a Sunday school class or preaching, whatever I was doing, if I read a psalm, he'd tell you what chapter it was. See, babies only want one thing. Peter's insight was the same as that. Desire the pure milk of the word. Why? That you may grow by it. You want to be mature, you better start figuring out what you're going to eat. Peter's insight is that single-mindedness of a baby. And the baby only wants one thing. That should be the characteristic of a Christian. And it should be undivided in its intensity. I want the word... And then the second thing I want is the Word. And the third thing I want is still the Word. Hunger and thirst after the Word of God. The trials are going to come. But do you have any foundation to stand on the trial? That's what the Word is for. I was teaching that this morning in our Sunday school class. I will send you a helper. The Holy Spirit. And he will do what? He will bring remembrance of the things I've said. And he will what? Teach you. Peter was in that room when that was being said. And when he writes his letter, he says what? 
Get after the pure milk of the Word. Why? So that you may grow. And listen, Peter was a walking illustration of it. That is the purpose. Please get this. This is the purpose of the church. To perfect the saints. I ain't here to entertain you. I ain't here. Although I was talking to a pastor this week, I would like to have one of them smoke machine things. I think that'd be totally awesome. And I, I just have them start filling up with smoke. And I get down here behind this. And then when it cleared out, I'd stand up and everybody think I just came from somewhere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and everybody's like, is that going to be in the budget? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Listen, my passion is the Word of God. And I just want to pour it on you every chance I get a chance. In season, out of season. All right? Because I know when that happens, when you are matured as newborn babes for the pure milk of the Word, everything else will happen. And it will not happen before then. Everything happens off of the maturing peace of the saints. That's why God said, I give you gifts, but I'm going to give you gifted men and evangelists and pastor teacher. Why? To strengthen the saints for the work of ministry. And he chose me to be one. You know why? I confused, so he made it simple. I just want you to read the Word, then I want you to turn it out and give it to everybody. People said, what is it like to be a pastor? It's easy. I spend the week letting God prepare a message, and I try to get it out here without spilling it. No more complicated than that. Okay? So, let each of us press on to maturity through trials that the Spirit of the living God will bring to us so that we may stand on the faith that has been poured out into us by gifted men who are pastor teachers. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Help us. Help us to grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, but also, Lord, help us to stand in it. I know that everybody in here is dealing with different issues in our lives, but Father, I know that those issues are brought to us by you so we would put confidence in you instead of confidence in ourselves. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this time. In Christ's precious name. Amen.